welcome to Coming In Without Context. It's episode five. Today, I am joined by Dylan Yang and Josephine Cook. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? I think you just did. I don't Hi, know if you wanted to I'm, say a blur. Josephine Cook. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm here every week. Yeah, everyone knows who Dylan is at this point. Yeah, I'm Josie. I know Hope and Dylan because we go to Dickinson College together, and I'm a computer science and studio art major. All right. Oh, and exposed us. <laughs> oh, am I not supposed to? They're going to come stalk us now. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so today I will be leading the discussion and Dylan will be leaving uh, the room. And yeah, do you want to skedaddle? I'm gone. Wait, no, I'm not gone. Wait. Oh. You're going to cut this out? Nope, that's not right. (laughs) I am now gone. He's still here. Yeah, please go. There we go. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, so today I chose to discuss with you how does technology affect what it means to be human? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So do you have any initial thoughts before I start guiding uh, the conversation in different directions? My, well, my initial thought was cyborgs, just because of the, the combination of technology and whether or not someone is deemed a human. Because I feel like there's a lot of literature about that, of like the combination of like technology and the human experience. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you bring up cyborgs. So I feel like there are plenty of people who have like implants or like they have to use like prosthetic um, and we yeah. still view them as human. So it, what really I think could affect it is like genetically engineered or altered babies. Oh, interesting. So wholly different direction than cyborgs. Yeah. I mean, cyborgs, I I feel like at this point, most people would still consider cyborgs human. Do you disagree? Uh, No, I don't disagree. It's actually something I get really excited about because I think it's really cool that like even someone with like a pacemaker is technically a cyborg like any sort of like you said like prosthetics and that kind of thing and no one actually like calls them that unless it's in like a joking manner but it's cool that it's like some sci-fi thing that we've technically achieved but yeah the modified babies thing have you ever seen the movie Gattaca I have not okay then I won't talk about it okay <laughs> I mean feel free to <laughs> Um, I mean, it's just about this, that, that concept, basically, and about how there's, like, different classes of society based on whether or not you were a test tube baby or, like, a natural birth. Oh, interesting. Are the test tube babies revered or, like, hated? they're like They're, like, a higher class of society, so it's easier for them to get jobs, and they are have access to more things, where mostly because they are more, like, they're physically superior, like they don't have any health issues. They're it's they're really physically fit. Whereas you know, the regular people have all the complications of being a person, like you know, genetic disorders and heart conditions and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, would they be more or less human if they were a test tube baby or naturally born? I don't think I don't think it calls into question whether or not they're human. I think they are human because. Yeah, like, like what, what is your real definition of human? Because if we're just going off of, like, biology and species, like the human species, like Homo sapiens, then they, that's still, they still fall within that. It's when you start, like, really deviating from, you know, yeah, as I just said, Homo sapiens as a species, then I think, no, you wouldn't technically be human because scientifically you wouldn't be. 
Yeah. And that brings an interesting question with like, have you heard of CRISPR? Yeah. So like as the actual physical DNA of humans is altered for different purposes, does that make them less human? Because their DNA is less similar to being human than it was. Uh, like is human, is humanity based on the biology or is it based on other factors? Like what makes a person a human? I would define it by biology. I think there's other ways you can define it that go into like morals and ethics and that whole shebang. But I feel like it's the easiest and most definitive definition to be like, are are, are we still the same species as like whatever this modified person is? If yeah, then I would consider them human. (laughs) So does any sort of like alterations on biology or using genetic engineering, do you think that affects the definition at all and how does technology affect what it means to be human if it does I don't know I I feel like I apologize Hope I feel like I have a very like solid and like non-complicated view of this uh, where where it's like as long as like you're still biologically human even if your genetics have been altered by technology or like a test tube baby then yeah I would I would still consider that person human It's, it's when you get into like I don't know if we're thinking like super sci-fi, like splicing human DNA with like the DNA of like other animals and that kind of thing, then like, no, you wouldn't be human because you're not like part of the species anymore. But I feel like that's very black and white. Yeah. So in other ways of how technology might affect what it means to be human, when it comes to like artificial intelligence, can a machine ever be considered human? I know you said your definition is based on biology. So do you think there's any way it could be based on something? I like that you brought this up because it does make me question my definition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, hmm, I don't know. I think true artificial intelligence that is so advanced that it would actually call into question whether or not it could be considered human is so far away. Like, like artificial intelligence has come such a long way. Like, it's actually incredible what it can do now. But yeah, it really does. Yeah, based on my other definition, I, I like, in theory would say, like, absolutely not. However. But, for the, but for, the, for the sake of this argument, I guess we do have to discuss, like, the morals and ethics behind, like, being human. Yeah. And could you ever even program morals and ethics and have it beyond just code within artificial intelligence? Exactly. Yeah, I don't. It's tough because we're not like really at that point yet. It's the, the whole thing like that, um, that that moral question that keeps that always brought up, like the trolley problem, mm-hmm. where it's like that's you know, it's used as sort of like, oh, can we program like artificial intelligence to make this kind of decision where there's no real right answer? Yeah, and like you know, a lot of the things, a lot of morals and ethics that I think someone coming at this from more philosophical standpoint would use to define becoming human are very subjective. So like the kind of stands that an AI would take on really complex issues would depend almost entirely on the stances of the person that created the AI. And so this is just my own not you probably have more background and knowledge about this than I do, but could like AI, could it be considered more human if it somewhat rejects the ideas it was programmed? Like if it was programmed to always save the largest amount of people, 
but instead it saves the person who created it and in doing so like hurts more people is that it finally making its own choices because it's rejecting its code or is in that way it's doing something that's morally wrong i i think that would be incredible not like the killing more people part <laughs> <laughs> but like like let's imagine that it wasn't that kind of scenario but like yeah like the kind of scenario where it a machine is able to reject its own programming and make decisions on its own, not based on how it was hard coded by the person that created it. I think that is an absolute stepping like 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 monumental achievement for for AI. Yeah, and I only I don't brought, know. Sorry, <laughs> I only brought this up because the trolley problem. Part of what's so complicated about it is: Do you save more people if your own family members are the people being hurt? But with AI, I feel like they don't have that sort of same preconceived notion. Like, there's we expect a lot of like technology to not put emotions into the equation, and so I feel like the trolley problem probably wouldn't be as complex a problem for a like a robot as it would but for it, a human being. Yeah, it wouldn't be because the robot, when you program in those morals and ethics, I think a lot of uh, like a person's ideas are very flux all the time. Like I could answer the trolley problem one way and then like a week from then, like my whatever, I don't know what happened in that week that would make my, <laughs> uh, my opinion so different, but I could look at the same problem and be like, oh, I might make a different decision. And that's why it like because it's the kind of thing that we will consider and turn over in our heads over and over again, whereas a computer would look at the situation, sort of use what's been programmed to determine the best possible outcome, and then do whatever it needs to do to achieve the best possible outcome. There's no like turning it over and really like reconsidering. It's a, it's a really complex thing that I don't know if it's been achieved yet. I also will say, so I, I know a little bit about this, but a lot of my a lot of my talking about it might be outdated. There I might be saying some things that we've already achieved, but I'm just not aware of. And I kind of want to turn back to your point where they'll just go off, not go off, but they'll use what they were programmed to do and just move forward from that. So is part of like computers efficiency and just relying on its code and moving forward what makes it less human when we'd spend a lot more time thinking and delving into an issue? Your, your overarching question of does it make it more human makes this so much more difficult. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I don't know that, can you repeat the question, honestly? So it's like, it's really, yeah. In a computer's like efficiency in that it, it, it'll go refer back to its code and make a decision and move forward. Whereas we'll spend a lot of time thinking and pondering before we make a decision. Is that efficiency at the cost of it becoming more human-like? Right. Yeah. I don't, it's at, okay. I, the term human-like really makes this more, it really makes this simpler. Cause yeah, efficiency would make something, it would become much more difficult to call it human-like because humans and our decision making is inherently inefficient. Yeah. Um, in a lot of in a lot of cases, even on very small scales. Like imagine, I don't know, like waiting in line at a restaurant to order. And like you know what you want, but you're staring at the menu and you keep going back and forth on your decision. Whereas, like in theory, a computer would look, weigh all the options and then choose something and it wouldn't go back over it and it wouldn't reconsider that decision. I think that's sort of I think that's part part of the core where a person can make a decision and then think about it again 
and remake the decision based on like their new considerations. And it's not something that would be impossible to code into a machine because machines can learn. It's yeah. something that we've, we figured out a while ago, actually. Um, so in theory, a computer could make a decision, do something, and then, you know, you plug some, some more resources into it, you teach it some more stuff and it would go back and it would do it differently. But I don't think it's in the same way that a person in that immediate situation can make a decision and then given like a little bit more time to think about it would change their mind because that computer has the efficiency of weighing every single possible option and then making the decision and not like if asked immediately after to think it over again, it would make the exact same decision because it does not, it doesn't have any more options to weigh. There's not anything that like, Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause obviously we programmed computers initially to, solve problems more efficiently than a human could. They can process way more data than we can in the same amount of time. And so in doing so, I feel like it makes them harder. And I mean, in some ways, way less flawed. Like, is being human being (laughs) flawed, you know? (laughs) We're getting into some some tricky territory. Is being human being flawed? I think it depends. Because I think I'm, I'm waiting for Dylan to come back because he he's the philosophy guy. Uh, <laughs> I tried to do a mix of technology and philosophy. This is a great a great question for it actually. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would define being human as being inherently flawed. Because yeah, if we're if we're going back to my original definition, that is very objective. It's very based on genetics. It's tough, like human morals being inherently flawed. I don't think they're inherently flawed but I think they're inherently susceptible to flaws. Yeah. And I mean, even within within this, humans are biased, but so is AI most times because it is programmed by humans. So in that sort of way, I think most human decisions are flawed because of their biases. But I mean, computers are just as liable to that as... Yeah. Human human bias affecting computers is such a, a big issue. Like there was a whole, there was a whole thing where I forget, I think it was some search engine or search function that was racist. Like it was uh, recommending specific results to people of color. Um mm-hmm be just because of those inherent biases in the programmer. And it's a, it's a huge issue that, you know, computer science and computer science research is currently dealing with is like how to eliminate those biases. And obviously like racism is in my opinion, a very straightforward issue. Don't be racist. It's just, you know, yeah. But uh, there are less straightforward issues that it's hard to determine. Okay. So this is, you know, we're coming back to the trolley problem where the opinion and the choice of the programmer affects what choice the computer would make in a very like gray issue when it's not black and white. And I guess kind of to bring us back outside of artificial intelligence and anything like that, how does technology like affect human beings? Like how does it impact us cognitively? And I mean, you were just mentioning that search engines could be racist can search engines being racist make people more racist? I mean, is it like a feedback loop? Absolutely. It's a problem. And it's why a lot of people are flocking towards um, like third-party search engines and things like like DuckDuckGo that are advertised as being less likely to suggest you things based on 
um, like sponsors and advertisers and algorithms mm -hmm. because people understand that they are very affected by what we are shown online because of the amount of time we spend online. Yeah. So yeah, the feedback loop is a great way to describe it. Yeah. Because ultimately, I feel like technology probably has as much of an impact on us as we do at, on it. And so yeah, if yeah. we're reflecting on like how technology affects what it means to be human, I mean, we don't even have to shift to sci-fi and look forward to cyborgs and genetic engineering. It's already affecting us. And yeah. so I'm, I do also want to bring up, I, when we were talking about cyborgs earlier on, I forget where I saw this. It might've just been a post online or an article, but someone was making the argument that all humans are already cyborgs because of how reliant we are on our phones. Mm -hmm. Which is on one hand, like I kind of roll my eyes because it does kind of feel a little bit like, you know, older generation, like criticizing, like how dependent younger people are on our phones. But I do think it has a little bit of merit in that, you know, we we can survive without our phones, obviously. But it's sort of it's it harkens to like if in a sci fi movie where someone has like an implant in their eye and they can like bring up information or directions or like targets it's like the same way that we have our phones where we can pull out our phones and we can like look something up or communicate with each other. It's just because it's not attached to our body. We have it on us so often that I do think it, it's an interesting perspective to be like, oh yeah, we already are cyborgs because of our phones and how we have them on us all the time. What do you think, Dylan? I was just thinking about Google Glass, Google Glasses. <laughs> you guys remember that? Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you ever meet someone who had Google Glasses? No, of, of course not. Uh, <laughs> like they only sent out like prototypes around the for Google employees, but yeah, yeah. that was a, a complete and utter failure. <laughs> although, although very cool in concept. Like imagine having uh, it's called a HUD, you know, where on your uh, like in your eyes where you can see maybe your temperature and your health, um, <laughs> your health <laughs> not a health bar, but like the status <laughs> of your body and also like when you last drank water or how many steps you've taken today. You know, there's a lot of that. Yeah. And like you were saying, Josie, with um, having our phones, like having electronic watches, right? Yeah. Like, Apple watch. Apple absolutely. Watch, yeah. Or, or even just like a, a Fitbit, right. Tells you information about what you've done with your day that you don't even know on your own. Right. Yeah. That's, a, that's a better example of like something that already makes us cyborgs, like a Fitbit or an Apple watch. Cause it's literally like keyed into your, some of your biological functions. Like, that's, that's really cool to consider, like, oh, does that make us cyborgs if we're wearing a Fitbit? Just because it's not, like, like permanently attached to our bodies. I don't, I think, I don't think that really matters in, in a way of, like, no, it wouldn't make you a cyborg just because of this. Um, I want to bring up something about Google Glass, <laughs> now that you brought it up. I forget what it is, though. Yeah, and, I mean, how, going outside of cyborgs, I mean, how does technology kind of impact how society is structured outside of like how it affects human biology and things like that. I think that was, was kind of two different questions, like society and biology. What are you, can you, can you reword the question a little bit? Um, so I was just curious about like, how does technology impact things, which like inherently are like human creations, but aren't necessarily human beings themselves like society. How does it, it impact the structure of society? How does it impact schooling? How does it impact all these things that feed into how mm -hmm. 
how we develop. Mm-hmm. I think that's so, I think there's, it's so broad because it affects so many things. It's, it's hard to really zero in on like, oh, here's how technology affects society. Because it's literally, our society is based on technology at this point. Mm-hmm. Like if, if every, if all tech shut down, so would everything else. Yeah. There's a really cool thing that's going to happen in like 2030 something. I forget what it's called, but a lot of tech runs off of Unix time, which is basically it counts the number of seconds from, I think it's January 1st, 1969. And, you know, a lot of most computers have ways to interpret that. So they'll look at the number of seconds and be like, okay, the date is this day. The time is this time. But um, there is a limit to the size of a number that a computer can store in binary, like ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. Like it, do, it can't just go on for forever. So we are actually rather quickly approaching the day when Unix time and that counter of seconds is going to exceed that highest possible number that can be expressed in binary. And when that happens, anything that is like hard coded and can't be fixed is going to start counting time backwards from some date in, I think, the 1920s because of these weird intricacies with how Unix time and the, and the code works. And it's not like, it's not that big a deal. Like people were freaking out in 1999 about how computers didn't know how to express the year 2000. And they thought that everything was going to shut down. And it really, nothing did. It was all just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> it was all fine. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen with with this. But it's really interesting to think that in a situation where something like that, like something that we've coded in that, you know, in a lot of older technologies, it's hard to fix. Like with newer computers, like, you know, you can just go in and come up with something new. Like in a situation where there was something that we couldn't figure out, like, and everything had to shut down, like what would happen? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on how it impacts like society and different things like that, Dylan? Yeah. Well, um, speaking to what Josie's talking about with the older technology that we can't really update. I think as we currently stand, since everything is really spawns from our intelligence, so to speak, it's not really an issue if some things go out of date or some things stop functioning, right? Because we can either update it, replace it. You know, we, we have the ability to fill that gap should it ever arise. But for Hope's original question, I thought she was definitely leading us towards like AI and job automation, mm. you know, there's a huge conversation, you know, you see all the opinion articles that are like, oh, shoot, we're going to lose all our jobs. It's going to, it's going to be a huge issue. Everyone's going to be unemployed, but really it's, I don't think it's that as big a deal as people might think, because once we actually successfully, I guess, upgrade AI to the point where no one needs to work anymore, that's like <laughs> one step towards a utopia, right? But <laughs> One step also, towards like a utopia, but it's also a step towards like the Wally future. Yes, yes. That's, I was good. Yeah, <laughs> <Adding> a, yeah <laughs> continuing that. Um, so right now, if we are, if we have control and everything is regulated by um, humans, like in terms of like programming and our technology, once we develop sufficient enough AI, it's going to go beyond human capability. So like if something goes wrong, there's no way we'd be able to fix it. Like the AI would have to fix itself. And if the AI is fixing itself, then, you know, you get to the dystopias (laughs) where 
um, humans get eradicated. So like a matrix future. Yeah. Something it's like, like the that. third movie I've referenced in this uh, <laughs> podcast episode. But so what you're saying is like, so we build AI and then the AR starts building AI. So we don't even understand the new AI. Yeah. Like, Got it. haven't yeah. you, have you guys seen that, that graph of technological development where it's just comp- exponential growth, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like first you invented like farming equipment, like basic tools, and then it just yeah. spikes um, up to where we currently are. And so yeah. if it, is still following that exponential growth, then really the only possibility is that the AI starts developing AI on its own, which would be exponentially more intelligent, right? I think there's definitely a human uh, a human limit to what we can develop. And I we might be nearing it, we might not, it's hard to say, but at some point we're going to hit a wall. And the only way to go above the wall is for us to create something that can propagate itself. Well, could you, would you consider that an actual limit or would like people are already creating structures that make it easier to build and program things without having to truly understand what's going on behind the scenes. It's called abstraction um, within computer science. Like I don't need to know how the ones and zeros are interpreted by a computer, but the, I do need to know like how to write JavaScript, which like affects the ones and zeros and that kind of thing. And I, is that much different than like having to write AI to write other AI? Cause like we wouldn't understand the new AI, but we would understand on some level how it was created because of, I don't know. I might be, I might be talking about two different things here. I think that we already are at that point where there's a mass Ignorance, like ignorance is a harsh word, but it's a mass ignorance <laughs> um, because if you ask any normal person, like Josie, you are majoring in computers. So you yeah. already have more information than the average person. does. The average person doesn't know how their phone turns on. They, they barely know like how electricity works from like high school. Like I barely know how electricity works. And I certainly <laughs> don't remember anything I learned in high school. So mm-hmm. if, so there's already a level of, again, mass ignorance, right? Which is throughout society because part of it is because like we specialize, right? We specialize for certain jobs um, in certain fields of knowledge. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if we've discussed this on the podcast, but I know I've, I've discussed with Hope, the idea that if you went back in time with your individual level of knowledge and you were trying to like help the civilization, the human civilization of the past develop, most people would have nothing <laughs> to offer, right? Like yeah. you don't know how to farm. You don't know any of the basic things that humans knew um, a century ago or a few, like, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, right? You have information related and only relevant to modern society. Yeah. And that, and it only works because our modern society uh, allows it to work. It's almost like a bubble, right? Once you leave the bubble, your information is almost worthless, depending on what field it is, right? Yeah, it's like like only survivalists would be, would have like a useful skill set. Yeah. Right. So Dylan, would you say that the definition of humanity has already been shaped by technology? I would say it has always been shaped by technology and that mm. humanity would not 
continue to exist without technology. That is, that's interesting because I've been thinking of technology this whole time as more like modern technology, but you're right. Like that, the definition of technology extends all the way back to like, you know, really simplistic part. Yeah, stone tools. Yeah. 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 And I mean, how we separate ourselves from apes is because we started using tools sooner. And if you look at like Western viewpoints on like the hierarchy of man, we were human because we were closer to God and he shared his knowledge with us and things like that. And we were always placed higher in that hierarchy because of the technology that we used, even though it's not phones. I feel like that just puts into perspective how much of a freak of nature we are. Like, humans <laughs> are just, like we talk about how like it's the possibility of life being unique to earth, which is really scary, but it's all, it's just such like, like, wow, how many coincidences had to line up for, for this to happen, yeah. for this podcast to happen? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about, like, what on earth literally could have possibly happened to lead to humans, like, developing technology to the extent that we have now. Like, us all being in different states, talking to each other in real time. Yeah, well, to kind of tie up, the conversation. Dylan, do you have any idea on what the guiding question was? All right. So I feel like you asking if technology was related to human development is a red herring. Um, (laughs) So I'm not going to guess that. And instead, I'm going to purposely guess something outlandish. And I'm going (laughs) to say the discussion topic is about military technology and drones. Unfortunately, it was the opposite of a red herring. It was, um, how does technology affect what it means to be human? I was close. I was close. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to take it more um, in like an international relations route. Again, like similar to episode two, where um, we were going to discuss like cyborgs and like military technology enhancements. Mm, thank you, Josie, for talking about cyborgs. We tricked him. <laughs> <laughs> I kept trying to bring the conversation back to cyborgs. Yeah, um, I could tell. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it was a good. I had a. I had a fun. I had a fun discussion about this. <laughs> do we Great. need to do some sort of transition into the outro, or is it just going to like break really jarringly from us discussing to saying bye? I'll just use jo- what Josie just said as the. <laughs> Well, a smile crept across my face. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.